Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We said we were going to move on to Shir Shalom, uh, the Psalm of the Day, and Alan and I had the same thought, an example of great minds thinking alike. Maybe some of you did had the same thought also. If we're going to do the Psalm of the Day, why don't we start not with the Psalm for Sunday, but the Psalm for the season, Ladavid, Psalm 27, which we started saying on um, Sunday. And we're going to be saying through Hoshana Rabbah, through the sixth day of uh, Sukkot, period of about altogether seven weeks. Okay, so that's what we'll do. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, it will take us at least two weeks. I'm on page 40 in the Sim Shalom and page 92 in the Slim, or you can just look in a Bible, a Tanakh, and it's Psalm 27. Called in once you do a Psalm on Days of Awe, the other the Psalm for the Season of Repentance, um, a Psalm which at least superficially, it's not entirely obvious why it's the High Holiday Psalm. I think what we'll spend a couple of weeks looking at it and analyzing it. We're not going to ask yet, why is it the high holiday Psalm? I think we should first take a look at it and try to understand it before we get to that. By the way, it is not the high holiday Psalm. We, you know, if you're a regular shul goer, you're a regular Ashkenazi shul goer, you tend to think this is like universal and it came from Sinai, but actually it's just a minhag. Uh, many or most Mizrahi Sephardi shuls do not say Ladavid, this Psalm. During the days of awe, it's actually a very late custom, maybe from about the 1700s, starting after the Ari from the 16, 1700s on, there were a lot of minhagim to add psalms on various days. So if you look at like the Chabad Sidur, you know, there are psalms that you say every day of Sukkot and every day of Pesach and on, and on, on, uh, Purim, um, and, um, which is, a nice thought, like, you know, we have a psalm on Rosh Chodesh. Why don't we have a psalm that we say on other particular, let's call them holidays, holy days? Um, but so there is a late custom where these psalms kind of proliferated being attached to specific Chagim. And Ledavid is probably a part of that. Uh, calling it a movement is a little bit too strong a word, but I'll say that impulse. But it's really a relatively late um uh custom as far as I know about the last three hundred years or so, and still is not done in all um um min hagim it is as far as I know fairly universal in Ashkenazi custom but not in Sephardi custom okay so we're going to take a look at it I'm going to jump in le David, a psalm of David, which could mean you know, sometimes interpreted to mean about David or concerning David. Adonai ori v'yish'i mimi ira, Adonai ma'oz chayai mimi efchad. It even sounds like it's parallel, right? And they both start with Hashem, God's name. God's name is something. We'll fill in the blank in a moment. Mimi ira, from whom should I fear? And Mimi Efchad, from whom should I fear? From whom should I be afraid? I guess better English, right? And we have Ira and Efchad as words that are roughly synonyms, Yira and Pachad. 
So then we have, so God is my something. So why should I be afraid of anyone? Rhetorical question, right? To which the answer is, the implied answer is, therefore, I, I really don't need to be afraid of anyone. So we have the middle part, which we would expect to be also parallel, because we started with Hashem, and we end with Mimi Ira and Mimi Efchad as 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 rough synonyms. So we have Ori Vishi in the first half of the line or the first line, and Maoz Chayai. Ori Vishi means my light and my salvation. Here, the English translates as help. That's a fair word, right? But again, it implies actual physical saving protection help, not, which I think is why our English translation doesn't, doesn't translate it as salvation, because that implies, you know, some, it's going to have some connotation of some Christian idea of being saved. But you may look at other uh, translations that might say salvation, and that's a fair word. So God is my light and my salvation. Who should I be afraid of? God is Maoz Chayai, the stronghold of my life, has a sense of life saver, the stronghold, which the implication, which protects my life. Right. So we have here, God is saves and protects. So if we expect these two lines to sort of be balanced, or parallel, what's the obvious question about the middle part of these two lines? One, Which one of these is not like the other? Which word sort of makes you say, oh, how does that fit? Pause for audience participation. It wasn't a rhetorical question. I guess light and strength or not. Right. So I get that Yesha, protector, save helper is parallel to maoz stronghold okay but what does that have to do with god being a light right because as we're going to see later on i mean you probably know this already from saying the psalm we're going to say you know enemies gather around me but i'm not afraid of them no matter what happens because god protects me okay so we have the theme of protector and then we have some parallel but there's something that seems not parallel and that's or light now i do want to point out we have word balance which makes it easy to not notice that okay the word balance is hashem orivishi mimi ira hashem maoz chayai mimi efchad okay so we kind of gloss over it we say well it's well, I said the same thing two different ways, but I want to point out that we have one word in here that seems not to be exactly like the others, which does not seem to be a synonym of protection, and that is actually or light. Any thoughts about that? Why that's there? Right? You have to slow down to see it. Um, uh, Rav Shai Held from Yeshivat Hadar in New York says, when you're reading Psalms, and you're trying to understand them, no matter how slowly you read Hebrew, read slower. Mm-hmm. Okay? Slow down and notice. Because when you slow down and notice, when you're just zipping through, you just say, Orivishi, Maoz Chayai. It sounds parallel. It's kind of balanced. It's two words, which means protection. Except or does not mean protection. 
thoughts. Obviously, the psalmist thought it fit somehow, right? So, so how do you, what do you think the author was thinking? Larry, you have to unmute if you're going to talk. No, Millie was just saying hi to you. Hi, Millie. Okay. This isn't a riddle. It's not what am I thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's bad for the podcast, dead airspace. Come on, come on. I see 10 people here. 10 minds. Someone's got to think. Happy? Yeah. Um, I want to think about all is opposite of Hosech. Okay. And so. Which means darkness. Yep. Which Go ahead. Means, which means darkness. Uh-huh. Which means in metaphor, the, the light is something good and positive and shows you the way and you can see things in, you can see and feel the light versus Hoshech that is totally the opposite is, is darkness, is maybe Sheol, maybe is death, maybe is totally the opposite what the light represents and brings. Okay. So implied in, in or is the alternative, which is Hoshech, darkness, because God is somehow with me. I am not in darkness. Good. So I, I just want to push a little further, you or anyone else who wants to jump in. And so how would that fit in with the theme of protection? Why would light as opposed to darkness fit in with the theme of protection? This actual physical protecting me, because we're going to read about enemies and they're surrounding me, but I am not yes. afraid of them. I'm not arguing. I just want to, I want you to take it a step further. Well, when you're in the light, Avi, you can see what's around you. Okay. When you're in the dark, you don't know what's coming. Okay. And that could be threatening if what was coming was enemies. Yeah. Okay. Good thought. Good. Other ideas? Well, in this case, it says the Lord is my light, which implies that that Hashem is leading the light to lead you to where you should go to be safe. Okay. Good thought. By the way, um, associations, any associations that you can think of from, let's, let's stick with the early Jewish tradition, since this is Psalms, with God connoting light, God associated with light. Yeah, the pillar of light in the, in the desert. The pillar of light in the desert. And what did the, would tell, say a little more, say. Michael, about the pillar of light in the desert. What did it do? It led us through the desert. It led us through the desert. And what, anyone remember where the pillar of light first appeared in that story in the desert? When did God first appear as the pillar, the, I'm going to call it, I'm going to put it together with the Yesha, Yesha, the protective pillar of light. Was it before going to the Red Sea? Correct. It's at, at, at the Red Sea. It's between the Exodus and the Red Sea. The Egyptians are chasing them. Alan's right. And <laughs> then God creates a barrier between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And the light, the pillar of light flame lights up the night and keeps them separate. 
Okay. So there may be the psalmist. Uh, remember, the tradition always assumes you know the whole tradition, right? I'm not sure the psalmist assumes that you know the Talmud, but the psalmist definitely assumes you know, you know, stuff from the Tanakh, right? So light, there's actually a story where the light is actually protection, right? It's the pillar of flame and the pillar of cloud. And then throughout afterwards, through the desert, the pillar of flame uh, is always there at night and leads them. And by day, it's the pillar of cloud. The flame you can see at night. The cloud is obvious during the day. All right. So maybe uh, that's, we- maybe that's in the psalmist's mind. Also, the idea of God's actual, not, not metaphor, because we moderns would say it's God is my light. It's like a metaphor. Okay. It's a metaphor, right? Illumines my path. It helps me see my way forward in life. But maybe the sense here is not just a metaphor, but actually literally in concrete and thinking of an example when God manifested in actual real physical light um, was being protective. Hold on one second, Bernie. Hold on one second. Which of course implies a hope, right? Oh God, you did that for us then. So please do that for us. Although I want to point out here, it's not us. It is, what is the pronoun? Me. Me, singular. Please do that for me now. I might be surrounded by enemies. Please give me the same protection that you gave B'nai Israel when you stood, metaphorically speaking, the God standing, uh, as a pillar of light, right, between them and the Egyptians when their backs were to the sea and they were being chased. So um, maybe that's meant to be evoked by the psalmist. Bernie? Yeah, I, you know, you asked what other parallels about light and darkness, but I think the the Choshech, the the that plague had to be a terrible thing. Ah, so we have. I a con- think at the yep. darkness. Yeah, darkness was had to be a terrible thing to to put put on the Egyptians. The ninth plague and B'nai Israel <laughs> had or it says that it's the same word. All their their dwelling places. But during the ninth plague, when the Egyptians had darkness, the Israelites had light in all of their places where they lived. Okay? So we have other associations with Or and Choshech. Alan? Yeah. Perhaps it relates back to creation. The first thing that God creates is light. Mm -hmm. So God is going to be our powerful, creating the light. And that's yep. he ultimately creates us is going to be the protection for us. Yes. And in poetic, not in Brashi chapter one, which is prose, but in various poetic versions, this is really a bonus question. That's really high level bonus question in poetic versions about creation that we have over and over in the Psalms. What does God have to do when God creates the world? I'll give you a hint. It does have to do with the theme of battle, which is what we have in these first few lines. In the poetic version of creation, not in Brashi chapter one, but we see it in the Psalms. Is there anything about fighting or war in the creation story in the Psalms that you've ever seen many times without realizing it? Does is there a is there a war at the beginning of time 
Sure there is. Who does God have to vanquish? Anyone remember? Who, what, what physical element, what earthly element does God need to subdue in creation? You say it every Friday. You say it every Friday night. Go ahead, Larry. You talking to Millie or you talking to us? No, I was saying, trying to recite the psalm from memory. And I... God has to subdue the waters. Does this the ring water. a bell with anyone? Right. Hashem al-mayim rabim, right? There are all these psalms that say poetically, God vanquished the waters. God set a limit for the waters. The sea roared up and God subdued them. Quick look. Psalm for, just flip back. Psalm for Friday on whatever page it is, 32 or 90, 90, right? I'm just going to read through it fast in English. The Lord is king, crowned with splendor. The Lord reigns, robed in strength. So God is number one king. He set the earth on a sure foundation. When did God set the earth on a sure foundation? What is that referring to? Beginning of time, creation. He created a world that stands firm. Kingdom stands from earliest time. God is eternal. The rivers may rise and rage. The waters may pound and roar. The floods may spread and storm. But, I'm inserting the but, above the crash of the sea and its breakers, awesome is the Lord our God. Okay? We have this over and over again, a poetic element through many Psalms, that at the beginning of time, part of the act of creation is God subduing the raging waters. It's a leftover poetic residue, I'm going to say it that way, from polytheism, right? Where there's, there are creation stories in the ancient Near East, and presumably the Canaanites had that also, because it's left this residue in the, in the Psalms, of uh, God doing battle against rebellious or aggressive forces of nature at the beginning of time. And part of creation, what creates our world is God wins, right? And the forces are variously described as mighty waters, roaring waters, rebellious waters. And what is the prose residue of that in Brashi chapter one? How did that get, I'm going to call it domesticated, denatured, watered down, pun intended, right, into our prose creation story. God divided. God separates the waters. Separates the waters. Above and and below. And then, that's on day two, and then on day three? Uh, Not a hard one. Come on. What happens on day three? You learned this in kindergarten. Is that the the moon, the sun, and the, the other lights? Is that four? You, Alan, you just failed Gone. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll have to go back and try it again. Right. The Rakia? No, that's in day two. Come on. What happens on day three? So on day two, the waters, seriously, I'm going to like fail the whole group. Uh-huh. On day two, the waters are separated above and below. And on day three, before the create, how is vegetation created? What does God do with the waters below? The waters below means the whole earth is covered with water. Oh, it brings dry land. And right. God says, doesn't say, but does, waters that cover the whole earth, you go only here. This is dry. This is an ocean. Okay? Everyone with me? Right? Yikavu hamayim. Mitachara shamayim el makom achat. 
May the waters, it's a command third person, let the waters under the heavens, meaning the waters that cover the earth, let them all be confined to certain areas, which we call the pond, the river, the ocean, etc. There, that, and in that way, dry land can appear. Okay. So the prose residue, the poetic version, which we see lots of times in Psalms, and it's an interesting Bible scholar question, of course. Does the psalmist realize that this is a poetic residue of polytheism? Or is the poet just using a figure of speech? I have no idea. Okay. Um, hold on. Hold on, Larry. Right? So it's a, in monotheism, it's a figure of speech. God subduing the raging waters that are roaring, rebelling against him, right? And the prose residue that that gets reduced into or or translated into by the prose author is dividing the waters above from below and let those waters below, which by implication at the end of day two, cover the entire planet, well, world, okay? Let those waters be gathered only into select places so that they will be boundaried so that there can be dry land, right? So that's the prosified version of the poetic version. Everyone follow me. Are there any questions about that? I just want to make sure you got that. By the way, what else does God uh, dispel while we're on the subject? Let's take it back to Alan, creation. God dispels when God creates light. God dispels darkness. Dark, right? What was there at the beginning of time, according to Brayshit? Some version of Tohu Right. It was all mixed, but there was Choshech and there was water. Okay? So part of God's act of creation is to dispel darkness and sub let's say confine, let's be monotheistic not subdue the waters. Let's be strictly monotheistic. Confine the waters. Okay. And so maybe there's a residue here of, because we're going to talk about, we, we, if we want God to protect us, we want God, we, we want to just experience God as powerful. Correct. You don't want a protector who's weak. You want a protector who's powerful. Right. So perhaps we're the psalmist here is, or, so we have three things, by the way. Uh, again, we evoke three things with or creation, ninth plague, and pillar of fire in the uh, at the Red Sea and in the wilderness. Okay, so maybe these are associations that the psalmist has or the psalmist wants us to have, which fit in with the theme of God as protector. Because if you don't have those associations, then or and Yesha are not exactly. They don't necessarily fit together. Okay. Somehow the fact that God is a light is, uh, somehow, um, fits with, I can't think of a very elegant word. Sorry. The fact that God is protector. They're somehow linked. So you can use your imagination 
like from your own imagination, like, oh, if there's a light, then I can see my way. I can see what's coming at me. If it's dark, I don't know what's coming at me. And if something bad is coming at me, I'm more vulnerable, right? So you can sort of just use your general imagination or you can use your knowledge of what might the image of like evoke, light evoke to people who know biblical stories. Larry. Wow. Um, thank you. I think you give at least me if you gave me too much credit because I had not studied in this way Psalm um the Psalm ninety three. I don't know I'm Malach but I wish I had read the Reuven Hammer commentary before you said what you said, which basically says something very similar. The emphasis on the water reflects ancient mythological tread traditions in which the creation resulted from a struggle with the primordial waters. Little remains of this in the Bible, except for references such as these and the words of Genesis chapter one, verse two. And he goes on. Yeah. Um, Wait, I, I want to say one, I want to say one thing. The little remains of these, except for there are tons and tons and tons of verses in Psalms that say that. So it's not just Psalm 93. There are many Psalms where there's mention of raging waters, mighty waters, confining the waters, subduing the waters, that sort of thing. Sorry, go on. Sorry, right. I just want to point out, it's not just one place. It's lots of places in the poet, in the poetic material. Right. And I, this, I, I would like to pursue that, not, not here in this class, but, but some more. But that was a, it, it is a, one of many gaps in my understanding of, of both Psalms and of the tradition. But now the question, my question for you is, but there is no mention of water at all. This doesn't carry over into Psalm 93. Correct. And so I'm wondering two things. Number one, what's, is there, is there just no connection? You're just mentioning what's in Psalm. Okay. Don't know. Don't know. Right. If meaning, I guess what, what you're suggesting, sorry to cut you off is, what you're suggesting is, oh, if that's what the psalmist was thinking and raging waters appears in lots of psalms, why didn't the psalmist throw in something about waters here if that's, in fact, what da- King David was thinking? Okay, fair question. Go on. No, that's all. You've answered my... Yeah, yeah. Okay, by the way, um, short answer about more material. Um, a Bible scholar of the 40s and 50s... Uh, Casuto, who was the first, uh, I believe he was the first scholar of Bible hired by Hebrew University before, before the War of Independence. Uh, and I believe it was controversial that they had a Bible scholar because studying Bible was a secular thing. Anyway, Casuto has a whole article which has, you can find in English if you look online, Casuto, C-A-S-S-U-T-O, in which he actually takes all of the references to the mighty waters in Psalms, and he arranges them all in what he thinks would make sense as a narrative order. And he says, this was the ancient polytheistic Canaanite um, creation myth. I think he has like 40 different lines, 40 different elements from Psalms and probably... um Job, which is also poetic that he puts together and says, this is the residue that we have of some ancient polytheistic uh, myth that the Israelites, um, I'm going to say, inherited the poetic tradition 
and monotheized, right? But that the poets made use of poetic elements. Um, well, here it is a, a quarter of nine, 847, in fact, and we've done one line. Okay. I sort of, I sort of intended to do the first half today. Okay. We'll continue, God willing, next week. And we're really going to try to get through the first half, which is up to Shema, up to Shema. So I will say one thing before we stop. So most commentators on this psalm, whether modern or traditional, say that the psalm clearly seems to have two different halves with two different tones to it, a shift in tone. Um, and we're going to continue uh, next time with the rest of the first half. And the second half means it's not an equal half. Um, if it were a cookie, it would not be fair to share it that way. The second uh-huh. half, the shift in tone probably comes with the word Shema. Okay. All right. We'll continue next week. Everyone stay healthy. Be Torah. Have a good day. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.